0: A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise rebuke to a listening ear. Like the cold of snow in the time of harvest are faithful messengers who send them. They refresh the spirit of their master's. Like clouds and wind without rain is one who boasts of a gift never given. With patience, a ruler may be persuaded. and The soft tongue can break bones. The first scripture lesson we had for today was the call to worship from Proverbs. The second is a reading from the letter of James. Um, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at the ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species, but no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. This is the word of the Lord. For the past seven weeks, I've been preaching a sermon series in called, called Christ and Culture. Next week, when we resume our full church programming and return to two services, I'm going to begin a series of sermons that will focus on the character and mission of Westminster Presbyterian Church as we celebrate our 75th anniversary this fall, a celebration that will culminate on November 15th, when we have an all-congregational dinner, a special worship service, and an all-congregational dinner following the service. This upcoming series will be a logical and practical extension of the Christ and Culture series. In that it will explore what we as Westminster have done in the past, are doing in the present, and seek to do in the future in serving Christ in this culture in which we live. But between these two series, I want to do a one-shot sermon today and speak about something that is near to my heart because I make my living at it. And that is namely the power of language, the power of words. I want us to look at how we speak in our national life in our closest relationships, and in our faith. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. In 1963, the American historian Richard Hofstadter gave a lecture at Oxford University in which he traced a phenomenon that has existed from the outset of our national history and has yet had yet to disappear in his day and time. Hofstadter wrote, Although American political life has rarely been touched, by the most acute varieties of class conflict, it has served again and again as an arena for uncommonly angry minds. There is a style of mind, Hofstadter wrote, that has a long and varied history in our country. This style... Evokes the qualities of heated exaggeration, suspiciousness, and conspiratorial fantasy. It involves the use of paranoid modes of expression by more or less normal people. Hofstadter notes that this style throughout American history can be found in both left wing and right-wing political movements. He then goes on to say that this style makes it nearly impossible for us to settle the merits of an argument based on the truth or falsity of their content. He entitled his address The Paranoid Style in American Politics, and within a circle of historians, His name has forever been associated with that phrase. To the extent that Hofstadter is correct in his historical assessment, some of the language of our politics in general, in the early stages of our presidential campaign in particular, seems to fit the paranoid style that Hofstadter has described. I know that this saddens many people in our congregation. I know that some of you seek through your professional life and your volunteer activities to restore a measure of civility, orderliness, and genuine exchange of ideas to our national politics and to our local politics. I sense that most people in our congregation yearn for a governing process in our nation that leads us to settle the merits of our political arguments based on the truth or falsity of their content rather than the style by which they are presented to us by candidates, office holders, pundits, Or political provocateurs. My hope and prayer is that efforts we make and others make to raise the level and to lessen the intensity of our public discourse will help our nation solve the problems that we face, seize the opportunities that lie before us, and serve as a model and an inspiration for other nations of the world. This, I believe, is what all of us, at our best, desire for our nation and desire for the use to which we put the language in our national politics. But it is not just the language of political discourse that is distressing today. For for several decades, there has been both a coarsening of language in all sectors of our society and a more public dissemination of language. The language of the street has entered the boardroom, the workplace, the home. The language of the locker room has entered the classroom. And perhaps most disconcerting of all, comments that are shared among a few are soon made available to the many. In addition, as our language has grown more paranoid, more coarse, and more public, it has also become less competent. I don't watch a lot of television, and almost all of the television that I watch is either sports or news but i cannot help but notice i'm really going to sound like a scold here but scold here but i am i cannot help but notice particularly in sports broadcasting how often basic grammar rules are violated <laughs> by the announcers do you all see that <laughs> boy we got more sports fans than i thought i've never been applauded in a sermon before <laughs> But, you know, if when I hear, and I've heard this, you have too, obviously, he, he had went to the disabled list. It is not the condition of the player that makes me mad <laughs> or concerned. It's the incorrect tense used by the broadcaster. I really thought this might be a boring sermon. I'm glad (laughs) y'all are into it. Not only is it sad that so much of our news from CNN or Fox or MSNBC is now listed as breaking news, you know, for five days, the same event. But it would also be nice if the words used to describe the breaking news were spelled correctly. (laughs) when they trail across the bottom of the screen. Now, I'm not asking for all of us to speak as if we're characters in a Jane Austen novel. I am as guilty as anyone of losing my linguistic cool at home and sometimes at work, breaking the third commandment, look it up, as well as other legitimate rules of decorum and civility. I do not believe that public debate should be free from emotion, intensity, or even anger. In fact, in public, Jesus cursed a fig tree. And in writing, in writing the Apostle Paul expressed a wish That his opponents in the Galatian church would, quote, mutilate themselves. And concerning the grammatical correctness of language, apart from its tone, in my center desk drawer for about 20 years, I have had this card. And whenever I am either going to use the word lie or lay, (laughs) I pull this card out. Lie, lay, lane. And I guess for the Bible we would say layeth. Lay, laid, laid. Lie equals to recline. Lay equals to place or put something. Lie never takes a direct object. Lay always takes a direct object. I have this card, and I still get it wrong sometimes in (laughs) sermons. The truth is that we are far too often, that in our culture... Far too often, we misuse language, we debase language, or we corrupt language to sinister ends. And as someone whose vocation is writing and speaking, and whose avocation is reading, this saddens me greatly. The two passages which lie, not lay, at the heart of our service today are from the wisdom books of the Bible. Proverbs in the Old Testament and the letter of James in the New Testament. As one scholar has said, wisdom literature offers us, quote, the moral, experienced, and trained intelligence of genuinely religious people. Wisdom literature concerns how we ought to act, and in this case, speak, In the workaday world, the wisdom passages before us offer several key prescriptions as we seek to listen, to speak, and to write in the workaday world as genuinely religious people. Let's look at three of these verses. First, from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise rebuke to a listening ear. A Hebrew scholar points out that there is an element of surprise in this saying. The images of fine jewelry, gold ring, and ornament of gold suddenly become symbols for something as harsh as a spoken rebuke. In Hebrew, the word translated ring, Nezim refers to jewelry that can be worn in the nose or the ear. What this verse is saying is that the spoken rebuke that is heard by the listening ear is as fine as gold jewelry hanging from that ear. Criticism taken into the ear is as valuable as jewelry hanging from the ear. It is a powerful image. It is a powerful piece of advice. It is a powerful piece of wisdom from the biblical tradition. Think of a time that you have been corrected, rebuked, criticized. Once the shock And the sting of the criticism wore off. Were you able to listen to the criticism, really listen? And were you able to assess it with a listening ear, with an open heart, with a discerning mind? Did you determine that there might be at least some basis for the criticism? There usually is. If so, were you able to take the criticism to heart and seek to make the changes that you determined needed to be made in light of the criticism? If you followed these steps, you were exercising wisdom in response to language that was critical and yet was as fine as a piece of gold jewelry. The listening ear is like gold, not only in the sphere of personal relationships, but it is also like gold in leadership of any kind. Listen to Machiavelli's advice in The Prince. There is no other way to guard oneself against flattery than by making others understand that they will not offend you By telling you the truth. A prudent prince, he says, must choose wise people for his government and give them complete liberty to tell him the truth. To an individual or to a leader... Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise rebuke to a listening ear. A second wise saying that's found within our readings today is from the letter of James. And the letter of James is the predominant wisdom book in the New Testament. James begins his famous chapter on the tongue with these words. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. In the early Christian community in which James writes, the teacher is one of the most significant figures in the local house church. It's apparent that teaching is an office for which one could volunteer. When James writes that those who wish to become teachers will be judged with greater strictness, he is speaking about the incredible responsibility that teachers, and by extension, leaders of any kind have for the way they use language. And he's speaking about the judgment that they will face if that use is careless or irresponsible or destructive. My friends, no matter what position of responsibility we have, and most of us have some position of responsibility, but no matter what position of responsibility we have, whether we are friend, spouse, older sibling, parent, grandparent, teacher, coach, supervisor, minister, scout leader, CEO, public official, leader of a nation, Our words matter. They matter more than the words of the ordinary citizen, the employee, the family member. We who lead are indeed judged. By those we lead, by the society in which we lead, and by the God who sustains all in his created order. The standard by which we are judged involves greater strictness. This is as it is. This is as it should be. We who teach, we who lead, we who are responsible for some other human being are judged with greater strictness, especially about the way we speak, the way we use language. Third, the book of James also speaks of a positive way in which language can become constructive. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree yield olives? Or can a grapevine yield figs? No more can salt water yield fresh water. With these images, James is pointing out that in order for us to meet the highest standard concerning the use of language, we need to be healthy internally. We need to be healthy in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds. In other words, in order to speak constructive words, we need to be healthy in our relationship With God. Can a fig tree yield olives? No. Can a grapevine yield figs? No. But can a healthy human heart aligned with God yield beautiful and constructive words? Yes, it can. One of my favorite Jewish scholars, Aviva Zornberg, has written Trust loosens. The vocal cords. I love that. Trust loosens the vocal cords. If we are going to have a word fitly spoken to our children, to our students, to the people who work for us, to the people we represent or serve in government. the human being on the face of the earth that we love the most our relationship with God our trust needs to be the healthiest and the strongest it can possibly be when we trust God in the Christian community through Christ when we trust God our purpose will be clear Our language will be even clearer. And in its clarity, our language will be both beautiful and eloquent. Trust frees, loosens the vocal cords. At Westminster, as you know, we conclude virtually every service with a hymn. It is often the case, and hopefully the case, that our closing hymn brings the service together and dismisses us with a sense of joy and blessing and service. But I suspect that from time to time it may be the case with a few people that our closing hymn sometimes becomes an occasion for us to look at our watch, to gather up our coat or our purse, To begin to review the mental list of to-dos for the rest of the day. I don't want that to happen with today's hymn. Today's closing hymn is a prayer for the faithful use of language. It is a prayer for a word fitly spoken. I want to close by reading the words so that when we sing them in a few minutes... They will indeed become a prayer for our lives. They will become a prayer for our church and for our nation. Lord, speak to me that I may speak in living echoes of thy tone. As thou hast sought, so let me seek thine hearing children lost and lone. Oh, lead me, Lord that I may lead the wandering and the wavering feet. O feed me, Lord, that I may feed the hungering ones with manna sweet. O teach me, Lord, that I may teach the precious things Thou dost impart, and wing my words that they may reach the hidden depths of many a heart. O give Thine own sweet rest to me, that I may speak with soothing power a word in season as from thee to weary ones in needful hour. O fill me with thy fullness, Lord, until my very heart o'erflow in kindling thought and in glowing word Thy love to tell. Thy praise to show. Amen.